Hello and welcome to another episode of Covenant and Conversation with me, Rabbi Sachs. In each new episode, we'll explore a Jewish idea from the Hebrew Bible based on the Torah reading of the week. Thinking fast and slow. If we put together recent discoveries in neuroscience with Midrashic tradition, we may be able to shed new light on a meaning on the meaning of a central mystery on of Yom Kippur, the two goats, identical in appearance, over which the high priest cast lots, sacrificing one as a sin offering, and the other sending the other the scapegoat into the wilderness and die. In previous issues of Covenant and Conversation, we argued there were two goats because Yom Kippur represents a dual process of kapara, atonement, and tahara, purification, directed respectively at shame and guilt. But this doesn't explain why the two animals were required to be as similar as possible to one another, nor does it account for the role of casting lots, goralot, two animals, alike in appearance but different in fate, suggest the idea of twins. And this and other clues led the Midrash, the Zohar, and classic commentators like Nachmanides and Abarbanel to the conclusion that in some sense the two goats symbolized the most famous of all the Torah's twins, Jacob and Esau. There are other clues also. The word Seir, goat, is associated in the Torah with Esau. He and his descendants lived in the land of Seir. The word Seir is related to Se'ar, hairy, which is how Esau was born, his whole body like a gaderet Se'ar, like a hairy garment. When Rebekah urged Jacob to pretend to be Esau to take Isaac's blessing, Jacob said, my brother Esau is a hairy man while I have smooth skin. According to the Mishnah, a red thread was tied to the scapegoat, and red, Edom, was Esau's other name. So there was a tradition that the scapegoat in some way symbolized Esau. Azazel, the mysterious place or entity for which the goat was intended, was Samael, Esau's guardian angel. In particular, the phrase, two kids of the goats, Shnei Seirei Izim, mentioned in the high priest's rites, remind us of a very similar expression, Shnei Gdi'ei Izim, two kids of the goats, mentioned in Bereshis 27, the scene of Jacob's deception. Isaac had asked Esau to catch him some wild game and prepare him a meal so that he could bless him. Rebekah tells Jacob to go out to the flock and bring me two choice kids of the goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father the way he likes it. Such verbal parallels are not coincidental in the Torah. They're part of its sustained intertextuality, its finely woven prose in which one verse sheds light on another. So the two goats of the high priest's service evoke in multiple ways the figures of Jacob and Esau, and specifically the scene in which Jacob pretended to be Esau, dressing in his clothes so that he would feel and smell like his brother. It was then, answering his father's question, Who are you, my son? that Jacob said the words, I am your firstborn Esau, leading Isaac to say, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. Who then were Esau and Jacob? What did they represent? 
And how is this relevant to Yom Kippur and atonement? Midrashic tradition tends to portray Jacob as perfect and Esau as evil. However, the Torah itself is far more nuanced. Esau isn't a figure of evil. His father loved him and sought to bless him. The sages say that in one respect, honoring his father, he was a supreme role model. Esau in the Torah is not the epitome of evil. Rather, he is the man of impulse. We see this in the scene in which he sells his birthright to Jacob. Coming in one day exhausted by the hunt, he sees Jacob making lentil broth and he says, quick, give me some of that red stew, I'm famished. And Jacob replies, first sell me your birthright. And Esau says, look, I'm about to die. What good is the birthright to me? So he sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank, got up and left. And Esau despised his birthright. This vignette of Esau's impetuosity, selling part of his heritage for a bowl of soup, is reinforced by the unique description of action in the staccato form of five consecutive verbs. Yet he drank, he rose, he left, he despised. Every time we see Esau, we have the impression of an impulsive figure always driven by the emotion of the moment, be it hunger, filial devotion, a desire for revenge, or at last, generosity of spirit. Jacob is the exact opposite. He doesn't give way to his feelings. He acts and thinks long term. That's what he does when he seizes the opportunity to buy Esau's birthright. When he works for seven years for Rachel, a period that seemed to him but a few days. And when he fixes terms with Laban for payment for his labour. He rebukes his son Joseph for seemingly being presumptuous in his dreams. And the Torah tells us that the brothers were, were jealous of Jacob, but the father Jacob kept the matter in mind. He never acted impulsively. He thought long and hard before deciding. Not only is impetuosity alien to him, he's critical of it when he sees it in his children. On his deathbed, he curses his three eldest sons. Listen to the words, Reuben, you are my firstborn, unstable as water, you will not excel. Shimon and Levi are brothers, cursed be their anger so fierce and their fury so cruel. Acting on the basis of anger or impetuosity is for Jacob the sign of an unworthy personality with which he does not wish to be associated. So what does all this have to do with sin, transgression, atonement and two goats? Recent years have seen a revolution in our understanding of the human brain and with it the human mind. One key text was Antonio Damasio's book, Descartes' Error. Damasio discovered something unusual about patients who'd suffered brain damage to the ventromedial prefrontal cortex. Their ability to think remained unchanged, but their ability to feel dropped to almost zero. The result was they found it impossible to make decisions. They'd reason endlessly, but always failed to make up their mind on one course of action rather than another. Much subsequent work has shown that Descartes and Kant were wrong in their assertion that we are, for first and foremost, rational animals. Hume, David Hume, was right in his view that we are primarily emotional beings who make decisions on the basis of feelings, desires and drives, of which we may be barely conscious. We justify our choices, but brain scans show that we may have made those choices before being aware that we had done so. 
We are more driven by emotion and less by reason than Enlightenment thinkers believed. This discovery has led to new fields of study like behavioural economics, what people actually do rather than what theory says they do, emotional intelligence and interdisciplinary studies drink, uh, linking neuroscience to morality and politics. We have, in fact, a dual system or twin track brain. This is what Daniel Kahneman is referring to in the title of his famous book, Thinking Fast and Slow. One track is rapid, instinctive, emotional and subconscious. The other is slower, conscious, deliberative and calculating. The former allows us to react quickly to situations of immediate potential danger. Without it, we and our ancestors wouldn't have survived. But are not all instincts are good. Anger, envy, jealousy, fear, hate and the desire for revenge may once have been functional, but they are often deeply destructive in social situations. That is why the ability to think slow, to pause and reflect and judge matters so much. All animals have desires. Only human beings are capable of passing judgment on desires, of asking should I or shouldn't I satisfy this desire. These recent discoveries in neuroscience don't tell us something new. Rather, they've vindicated an ancient insight that was often obscured by Enlightenment rationalism. We cannot live, choose or love without emotion. But one of the fundamental themes of Boratius is that not all emotion is benign. Instinctive, impulsive behaviour can lead to violence and what is needed to be a carrier of God's covenant is the ability to think slow and act deliberately. That is the contrast between Isaac and Ishmael. And don't forget it was said that Ishmael will be a wild donkey of a man. But above all, it is the contrast between Jacob, the man of reason and rationality, and Esau, the man of impulse. Which brings us to Genesis 27, and the moment when Jacob dressed up in Esau's clothes and said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. The two goats of the high priest's service and the two goats prepared by Rebekah symbolize the duality within each of us. The hands are the hands of Esau, but the voice is the voice of Jacob. We each have an Esau and Jacob within us, the impulsive, emotional brain and the reflective, deliberative one. We can think fast or slow. Our fate, our goral, our life script will be determined by which we choose. Will our life be lived to the Lord or to Azazel, to the random vicissitudes of chance? This is the moral drama symbolised by the two goats, one dedicated to the Lord, the other to Azazel and released into the wilderness. The power of ritual is that it doesn't speak in abstractions. Reason versus emotion, instinctual deferral rather than gratification. It is gripping, visceral. All the more so when it, evoke, it evokes consciously or otherwise the memory of the twins, Jacob and Esau, together at birth, but utterly divergent in their character and fate. Who am I? That is the question Yom Kippur forces us to ask. To be Jacob, we have to release and relinquish the Esau within us, the impulsiveness that can lead us to sell our birthright for a bowl of soup, losing eternity in the pursuit of desire. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening. You can download a written version of my commentary 
and explore all my additional content by visiting www.rabbisax.org. This year, we also have an accompanying family edition of Covenant and Conversation aimed at connecting children and teenagers with these ideas and thoughts. For a family edition discussion sheet on this week's parasha, please go to www.rabbisax.org slash cc family edition.